0: Baptist Church. Good morning, everyone. Um, once I was someone who did not uh, believe what God said that I was. So I was a heavy doubter. Um, and that revealed itself through me testing God's love, trying in my own way to. Demand God show me that I mattered. So, constantly comparing myself to others. Why do you keep picking him to bless, her to bless? Why them? Why not me? What about me? I'm not that bad. I haven't done that. I would never look and go there. So, surely, I should be blessed. So I was definitely one of, like the story in the Bible of the apostles going to Jesus and asking him, which one <laughs> is the greatest? So um, why not me, God? Who do you pick, and why am not? Am I significant? Do I matter? Do I count? Do you love me? Do you hear me? Do you see me? So I was willing to do whatever I needed to do to get God's attention, to take, not give, to kind of love, kind of support, kind of encourage enough to get blessed in the way that I felt that I should. So, um, envy, jealousy were my thing. And, uh, I remember praying to God one night in my room and crying and asking him, God, why are you making me wait so long? Why are you making me ask so much? Why are you making me do? What do I need to do to get you to bless me? And after I quieted down for a moment, he said, you know, I do see you, I do hear you, and I love you. But what I need from you is for you to follow me. So today, uh, I choose him. I wait on him. I listen for him. I know that I need. So, my name is Ivory, and I am definitely new. Now, a reading from the book of Luke, the healing of the demon-possessed man. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town, For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tomb. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell to his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want from me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained by a hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and fell and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Now a herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside. And the demons begged Jesus to let them go into them. And he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported it to the town and to the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear, So, he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of
1: the Lord. Thanks, Ivory. This is the fifth fifth Sunday of Lent, and there's one more. And we've been <coughs> we've been in this series looking at the great themes of Lent from the life and teachings of Jesus. And this morning, the theme that we're looking at is what some say is the really the overarching theme of Lent, and that is this idea of self-examination. And the the text that we're using this morning is an interesting one, if for no other reason than it speaks about demon possession. When was the last time you thought about demon possession? Anybody? Yeah. I mean, it's not something that we think about. That we talk, when, when was the last time you went to a diner with somebody and you're sitting there? And you know, I was watching reruns of America's funniest videos, and and I started thinking about demon possession. It doesn't happen, right? When we do think about demon possession, we think of Hollywood, not the people, the movies. We think, you know, the classic, you know, The Exorcist, or maybe um, more recently, Paranormal Activity, we, we think of these, these depictions of just whacked out people. And we think of, when we, when we think about demon possession, we think about that it's, it's very gruesome and very rare. Right? So you come to a text like this and you say, well, it's kind of an interesting story, but not really applicable to my life. Yes, it is. Because this text is not really about demon possession. It's about what possesses us. And about Christ's power to deliver us. And and how we will respond to that power. So if you want to turn to Luke chapter 8. And let's look at this story that Ivory just read for us. Here's the scene. After after Jesus calms the storm on Lake Gennesaret, he sails across to the other side, and um, and when he gets ashore, the first person he's met by, or the only person he's met by, is this demoniac who's living among the tombs. Now, this is Jesus' first foray into this non-Jewish uh, territory. And so he's met by this guy who is, you know, he's buck naked. He's got blood and, and, and scars all over his body from where he's been gashing himself. He's, he's clearly deranged. He's got welts and scars on his, on his wrists and his ankles because he's, he's been in shackles. And he's broken free of those shackles. And and he's he's possessed by what is pronounced to be legion, which in military terms would be four to six thousand soldiers. So this this guy's literally possessed by the army of hell. And when Jesus and this demoniac come have this face to face encounter. There's one person who's afraid, and it's not Jesus. You see this this um, this man who has terrorized the region. He he looks at Jesus, and Jesus looks at him, and 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 what's inside of this man becomes terrified. Of course it's not the man speaking it's the what possesses him that's speaking and and so these demons beg Jesus not to to send them into the abyss but but to send them into the pigs and so Jesus complies and the pig the demons go into the pigs and the pigs immediately run off a cliff and into the lake they did what you might call the first swine dive um <laughs> Sorry, I had to go there. Um, so they dive into the lake and they drown. They die, which is what happens to anybody who's in league with Satan. They die an eternal death. The next thing we see <coughs> is that this man is seated. He is clothed and he is in his right mind The townspeople show up, they see this demoniac who they tried to help, um, and he's healed, he's whole. And they have an interesting response to his healing, which we'll look at in a few minutes. Now, as I said a moment ago, this text is really not about demon possession. But we do need to appreciate that the ancient world had an obsession with demons, they believed that that mental illness and epilepsy and in fact most physical illnesses could be attributed to demonic activity in a person's life and so we're not going to debate this morning the the reality of demons or you know if they existed then if they that's not what this text is about but what we need to understand is that for the the people of Garaza, and for this man who was deranged, these demons were intensely real. All right? The essential element of this story, though, is not about debating the, the validity of demons. It's about control. It's about... Whom or what possesses whom. It's about who or what is in charge. That's the issue. And I think it's interesting that the first insight that we get comes from the demoniac himself. In verse 28 it says, When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Now, Jesus has never been to this region before. He's never done a miracle here. He's never taught here. When he lands, there's no crowd to meet him. And yet, these demons call him Jesus, the son of the most high God. They know who he is. What does that tell you? It tells me that that the forces of The world that is outside of the physical realm know who Jesus is. That he is the one who has ultimate authority. Regardless of what side you are on, everybody knows who is ultimately in control. Um, James would later write, you believe there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You see, these demons in this face-to-face confrontation with Christ, they recognize that they're the ones who should be afraid. And so they're shaking in their boots. If they wore boots, I don't know. This possessed man who has terrified the community, who has undoubtedly injured some who have tried to subdue him, who had the strength to break through chains? Jesus now walks up to him, takes authority over the demons, and orders their departure from this man, um, whom they have they hold in bondage. Question: When you um, when you see somebody exhibiting crazy behavior on the streets of New York, what do you do? <laughs> Do you walk up to him? hey, how you doing? Can I go get you some coffee or something? No. We avoid them at all costs. We go to the other side of the street. We, we do whatever we can so that we don't have to come in contact with them, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus goes right up to this guy. And he takes authority over these demons and casts them out. The difference between you and me and Jesus is he has sovereign power to do that and we don't. But here's something that we need to understand. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the scriptures tell us that greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. Yes? Yes? Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Ephesians 1 tells us that God wants us to know the incomparably great power that he's given us so that we can fight against the forces of evil. But the thing is, we can't do it in our own strength. We, we can't combat evil on our own. So what does this text tell us about Jesus? It tells us that He is the Son of the Most High God who has power over the forces of evil and He has power to deliver um, people from what possesses them. He is the one in control. That's what this text tells us about Jesus. But what does it tell us about us? In verse 29, Jesus commands the demons to come out. And in verse 30... (coughs) Excuse me and in verse 30 he asked the man what is your name <clears throat> in essence who are you which really is the <clears throat> basic question of life who are you it is the question that this question of identity is one that that modern psychiatry and psychology constantly deal with. Who do you perceive yourself to be? And the end goal of of the secular counseling profession is to get people to come to the place. Remember that that Saturday Night Live sketch, uh, Gary Smalley? Where this guy's looking in the mirror and he says, I'm okay. I'm good enough and I'm smart enough. And doggone it, I like me. That's the goal of, of secular counseling. But friends, what we need to understand is we are not okay. In and of ourselves, we are not okay. There are things that possess us and we cannot do anything about them. And, and just as the storm of the previous passage forced the disciples to come to grips with who they were, Jesus steps into the storm of this man's life and he asks, Who are you? And I would say with, with great insight, this demoniac answers, My name is Legion. In other words, I've got all of these forces inside of me that are battling all these different things and I don't even know I don't know who I am this is sometimes a problem for even the most stable of us Thomas Jefferson wrote all men are created equal and yet he kept slaves until the day that he died so which is it Tom who are you Leo Tolstoy, who was revered as one of the great Christian writers and thinkers of his age, his wife said that he never gave her a kind word or a cup of water. Leo, which is it? Who are you? The Apostle Paul in Romans 7 says, the the evil I don't want to do, that's the stuff that I keep doing. And the good that I want to do, that's the stuff that I don't do. Anybody else relate to that? We all have a divided self. You know, more times than I want to admit, the evil I don't want to do, that's what I do. And the good that I do want to do, that I don't do. Why not? Because I'm legion. Because I've got all of these battling forces within me, and at the end of the day, I don't really know who I am in and of myself. That's what's going on with the demoniac. His God-given identity has been lost. He has a divided self. He's living on the outer edges of society. And Jesus steps in. Jesus was the answer to his problems. And Jesus, this same Jesus who, who stilled the storm on the lake, comes in and stills the storm in this man's life. And that same Jesus can calm the storms in our lives and deliver us from the things that possess us. You see, like the demoniac, when we recognize who Jesus is, that he is the son of the most high God, and we come to admit who we are, that we are legion, that's when he will deliver us. And we will find in his presence the integration of life and become truly whole people. And that's what we see in verses 34 to 36. The the pig herders, after seeing what had happened to their pigs, ran to town. They told the people. And then these folks come to see what had happened. Verse 35 says, when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. It says the man was sitting at the feet of Jesus, dressed and in his right mind. This same man who had been uncontrollable to the point of breaking chains has now recognized who is the ultimate authority of life. And with a clear head, he sits at the feet of Jesus in an act of submission. He is choosing to submit himself and his life to the authority of Jesus Christ. Friends, Christian freedom is a paradox. The, the, the reality is, when and only when I submit to the Lordship of Christ, am I truly free? When and only when I submit to the Lordship of Jesus, am I truly free? Jesus said in, in John chapter 8, um, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, but if the Son sets you free, you will be what? Free indeed. Free indeed. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You see... Only when we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus do we then enter into this, this abundant and free life that God has to give us as, as sons and daughters of the King. So can we talk about the pigs for a few minutes? So let's talk about the pigs. There have been there's a lot of speculation as to why Jesus allowed these demons to go into the pigs. Some people have said, "Well, the the spirits, the demons were unclean, and and as an act of judgment, Jesus sent the demons into the pigs because the p- pigs were also considered unclean." Yeah, I don't know. Uh, some people have said, "Well," <clears throat> if. He did it so the demoniac could really know that he'd been delivered because only if there was some visual sign that the demons went somewhere else would the demoniac really believe that he was free. Yeah, I don't know. You want to know what I think? (laughs) Well, I'm going to tell you. I think Jesus sent the demons into the pigs to show us that demons are not the only things that can possess us. Verse 34 tells us that the people heard about their pigs and so in 35 they come to check it out. And when they find the man healed but their pigs destroyed, this is how they respond. Verse 37, then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. What were they afraid of? We hadn't seen, when Jesus does miracles, when Jesus makes people whole, what we saw last week is the crowd goes with him and they're exuberant. What were they afraid of? Instead of recognizing that they are in the presence of the Son of the Most High God and rejoicing that this man is now whole, they are distressed by what happened to their pigs. They weigh the situation. One of, our, one of our neighbors who's been this dangerous lunatic for years is now well, but, but it's cost us our business, it's cost us our property, it's cost us our pigs. And that cost was too high for them. So they said, in effect, Jesus, we would like it if you would leave us now. You see, we'd rather have a few crazies around then have our property destroyed. And if that's the cost of healing and wholeness, if, if the cost of, of healing and wholeness is for you to have control in our lives, Jesus, thanks, but no thanks. We'd like it if you would leave. Now, we look at this and, and we say, well, those people are nuts. I would never choose pigs over Jesus. Right? How often do we choose pigs over Jesus? How often do we let the things that possess us control our lives instead of submitting to the Lordship of Christ? Um, You see, they made a choice between their way of life and the life offered by the Son of the Most High. Suppose for a moment that these pigs represent a year's salary. All right? And we've got a friend, um, Ross Queener over here. Ross, stand up. Um, Ross is one of our elders. And Ross is a great friend to me and to many of us. I love Ross with all my heart. And let's say for a moment that ross has an emotional breakdown and becomes deranged Ah! really good i like that it's a great addition Um, now cindy may tell you that he's already deranged but that's another story for another day so let's say that that ross has this breakdown and i love ross and so i'm praying for ross Lord, heal Ross, heal Ross. And then the Lord speaks to me and says, well, Keith, I will heal Ross. But what it's going to take is you need to quit your job for a year and go live with Ross. You, you, you can sit down now, thank you. <laughs> Would I do it? Would you do it? See, I don't know if I would. I love him. But that's my job. That's a year's salary. I mean, we could all chip in together and, and, you know, come up with funds so that we could send him to a really good hospital, you know, or an asylum somewhere. Or maybe, you know, the church has got some money. We can go talk to benevolence. And let benevolence do it. But see, that's my job, that's my income, that's my that's where I get a lot of my self worth and and that's so what am I doing? I'm choosing pigs. Because if I have a clear word from the Lord as to what I need to do and I choose to do something else, I'm choosing pigs. This text is a graphic illustration of the choice between the values of the kingdom and the values of this world. Their pigs had perished. But what did it matter that somebody was now made whole? You see, it was more important to them that their economy had now gone into recession than that this person had been restored. I think this is human selfishness in its most blatant expression. And if I could be so bold as to say it is a more dangerous type of possession than being possessed by demons. Because it is more subtle, more acceptable, and thus more insidious. It occurs to me that the people of the region were not that much different from the demoniac. You see, they too were possessed and they too were living in tombs. Maybe not literal tombs, but the tombs of shallow and empty lives. Their lives were given value by a bunch of pigs. And the only real significant difference in this text is that the demoniac recognized who Jesus is and that Jesus has the power to transform lives. I don't know how many people I have sat with across a table in a diner or in my office who have all of the the accoutrements of success. They've got the Great career they've got the great apartment they've got all the all the toys they've got um, you know the fam- beautiful family and and they take vacations that make me sin um, <laughs> because i'm I want to go where they get to go you know and I look at that, and they come and they talk to me about how unsatisfied they are, how unhappy they are, how how empty they feel. And so I start talking to them about trusting their life to Christ. Oh yeah, I know Jesus. I believe that he is the Son of the Most High God. Well that's good because even the demons believe that. You see There's a difference between knowing who He is and submitting yourself to who He is. And submitting yourself to His authority in your life. And friends, it's only, we can know up here who He is, but it's only when we come to the place where we submit ourselves to His authority in our lives that we step into the freedom that He has to offer I love how this story ends. Verse 38, The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus. This guy doesn't say, Cool, I'm healed. Thanks, Jesus. Look me up next time you're in the region. He doesn't say, Hey, if you'll give me a calendar of your speaking engagements, I'll try to catch you next time you're in the area. No, this guy begs to go with Jesus. He has this um, heartfelt commitment to follow the Savior. He's he's willing to leave it all behind. So, how does Christ respond? Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. This guy wants to go into occupational ministry, but Jesus says, no, you go home and you be a witness in your community. You see, following Christ doesn't always mean that he calls you to leave everything behind. But following Christ does always mean that you are willing to leave everything behind if he asks. More often than not, he wants us to stay and be a witness where we are. If you're an investment banker and you have been made alive in Christ, then you be a witness to his glory at Morgan Stanley or at Traveler's Shearshan City Brothers or whatever it is now. Um, you, you represent Christ there. If you are a a physician, you're called to represent Christ in that place. If you're an educator, you're called to represent Christ in that place. If you sell shoes or dance on Broadway or flip burgers, it doesn't matter. You are called to represent Christ in that place. As far as I can tell from my reading of the Gospels, there are only 12 guys that Jesus called into occupational ministry. The rest, he said, you go be a witness where you are. The challenge of this text, the challenge this morning, is this great theme of Lent of self-examination. The challenge of this text is for us to ask ourselves some hard questions. What possesses you? What controls your life? What are your pigs? Is it your career that you find your identity in what you do? is it your your stuff that you're driven by what you have or 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 what you want is it your reputation that that the most important thing about you is what others think about you what what is it that controls you what What is it that Jesus says um, that causes you to ask Jesus to leave? What masters you? Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. You have to choose one. And the question is not, um, is Jesus Lord? Because he is. The question is, is he Lord of your life? And are you willing to leave everything behind if he asks? Or are you more concerned with your pigs? Let me pray for us. I just want us to take a a minute and in the quiet of your heart, I want you to ask those questions of self-examination. What controls me? What masters me? What am I more concerned about than submitting my life to the Lordship of Christ? Just take a moment. Lord, we all we all relate to that Romans seven issue of of having a divided self, of not doing what we really want to do and, and doing the things that we don't want to do. But Lord I pray that as we as we self examine this morning that that you would show us those things that when we when we're honest there are things that that have more of a hold on us than you do. And I pray this morning that that you would help us to lay those at your feet that that we would allow you to clothe us in your righteousness, that we would allow you to give us the mind of Jesus as we come and submit to your lordship in our life and we sit at your feet. And as we do that, Lord, I pray that you would help us to experience the freedom and the abundance that you came to give us. Lord, we pray this for your name's sake. Amen.